On today's podcast, we're going to introduce you to a small aircraft, a Cessna 185. Its call letters are PKMCB, Mike Charlie Bravo, according to the aviation alphabet. But most people call it Charlie Brown. This airplane served for 47 years in Kalimantan, Indonesia, on the island of Borneo. In June of 2017, it retired from the MAF fleet after more than 24,000 flight hours and no accidents. If only this airplane could talk, the stories it would tell. Well, we have the next best thing. Today, you'll hear from some of Charlie Brown's pilots and learn the history of this airplane and the impact it had across the island. Yeah, Charlie Brown was a, uh, was a real friend, really was. I put a, spent a lot of time in it and uh, was, it was nice to be the pilot that broke it in and uh, got to explore all of Kalimantan with it. That's Dick Parrott. He was the first MAF pilot to begin flying Charlie Brown in West Kalimantan. Incidentally, he is also the son of Grady Parrott, who was one of the founders of MEF and a former MEF president. So Dick grew up with MEF. He and his wife Jan and baby arrived in Kalimantan in November 1969 to begin the MEF program there. And Charlie Brown arrived a few months later. The airplane was brand new. It was shipped to Papua, assembled there, and then flown over to Kalimantan by Clell Rogers in early 1970. While airlines flew in and out of the main airport on the west coast, PKMCB was the only registered airplane based in all of Kalimantan at the time. So we'd go out and we'd fly out over the jungles, and we were the only airplane out there. There was nobody else around anywhere. It was definitely a pioneer operation, and as the only MAF family there to get things started, Dick says they felt pretty isolated. It was tough. There were no airstrips to fly into, and there was no hangar in the beginning. The airplane was parked on the tarmac at the airport, which was about 40 minutes from the family's home in Pontianak. And there was no security, and people would just come up and look in the windows of this airplane parked on the ramp. One point, somebody kind of scratched their initials in the paint. Dick had to get a two-way radio established there so his wife could talk to him while he was flying. He went to work on building a hangar and focused on getting airstrips started. Primarily in the West Cal, we would make drops at airstrip sites. We would uh, prepare food, etc., for workers and make drops over the uh, airstrips. I would walk in or go in by motorized prow or motorbike into some of these places and inspect the strips and then make the first landings. Made, though, probably 10 first landings, I guess, before I departed for furlough was kind of ticklish because there was nobody there if I had any problem on the first landing. So I would go in by motorbike, inspect the strip, come out by motorbike, get in the airplane, go in, and with sweaty palms, turn final and land first time. And of course, (laughs) hoping that all would work out well, and it always did. And the terrain there is very chopped up, very hilly, and so you can't have these nice long strips at all. There's Mm. dog legs in them, and it's uh, quite challenging. Let me back up for a second and give you a little history. MAF was asked to come to Kalimantan to serve a mission hospital run by conservative Baptists in the West, as well as to serve the National Church and Christian and Missionary Alliance, or CMA. CMA missionaries arrived in the 1920s and 30s, and the gospel was spreading. 
In fact, several of them were executed after the Japanese took control of the island during World War II, including one young CMA pilot, Fred Jackson, who flew the first missionary aircraft, a hydroplane, in East Kalimantan. But even war could not stop the newfound faith of the Dayak people, who continued to plant churches even after the Western missionaries had to leave due to the war. I was so impressed myself by the state of the church of the Dayak people there. They had not had any missionaries there for years and years in a lot of these places. Yes, there were a few missionaries working in different places, RPMU as well as uh, CNMA, but a lot of just uh, villages with no missionaries. And when we would go in, we would find churches that were really alive. And it was just a blessing to me to go there and see these places. I would have guys come to knock on my door there in Pontianak, unexpected, and they'd say, Tuan. Tuan is a term used to address white men as Mr. And they'd say, Tuan, I'm from this village somewhere in the interior, and we are working on an airstrip. We want you to bring your airplane in and land on it. (laughs) And they would have done that entirely on their own. As Dick was working hard to get airstrips started on the west side of the island, he was also making monthly trips across the island, about 500 miles, to East Kalimantan, and doing survey flights for new airstrips there. When we come back, I'll introduce you to Ken Simmeling, another early Charlie Brown pilot who followed after Dick. And we'll hear about one of these long cross-country flights and one tiny unexpected passenger. Did you know you can make an even bigger impact in the lives of isolated people by setting up a recurring gift? Your recurring monthly gift makes it possible for MAF to be there for people in remote places that they need help most. By setting up an ongoing monthly gift, you are helping MAF stay better prepared to consistently bring help to people living in remote parts of the world. Aviation and technology ministries, like MAFs, are complex and costly, especially considering where MAF serves. No cost is too great when it comes to people knowing and experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. Please consider signing up one time for a recurring gift. It's easy to do and you can cancel anytime. Set up your recurring gift at maf.org donate. Thank you for bringing hope to people living in isolated places around the world. Ken and his wife, Lee, arrived in 1970, and Ken continued the work of opening up airstrips in both West and East Kalimantan. Once a month, he would travel across the country to serve the church in East Kalimantan, since there was no airplane base there yet. Here's a true tale from one of those long cross-country flights. I followed Dick and opened up most of the airstrips that were started in his time. And then uh, Jerry Reeder followed me. And I was checking Jerry out just before we went on furlough. And uh, at that time, we had no pilot in East Kalimantan. The island was about 500 miles across. And once a month, I would make the flight across the island and then serve the missions on the east side. And Jerry was with me as we were making that flight across. And it's kind of a boring flight because you're flying five hours. There's nothing much to look at. You're going over mountainous terrain. It was uncharted. There weren't even maps that would indicate what was underneath. Anyway, about halfway 
to East Kalimantan, a mouse came down the V-strip, the right side, and went up the left. And Jerry and I were just kind of dumbfounded. And he looked at me and he said, Ken, what did you just see? And I said, well, I thought I saw a mouse. He said, well, that's what I thought I saw. And about that time, the mouse made the reverse course, and we both had a big laugh out of that. And after we landed in Tarakan, East Kalimantan, we uh, found ourselves some mouse traps, and that night uh, we caught the mouse. As airstrips were being built, Ken made lots of drops from the airplane, from groceries for missionaries based in the remote villages to tools and incentives for those who were working on the airstrips. In Kalimantan, the people drank tea. So we dropped 50-pound sacks of sugar, and that was just to go with their tea. Sometimes 500 people or more would be building an airstrip, all by hand. Can airdrop tools to help with that? They were a metal maddox. In the Indonesian terms, it was chonkwals that would be able to chip away the dirt. And they were in cases of probably 50 or more in each case. We would drop them on the site and they would attach handles and then go to work on, on the airstrips. When a new airstrip opened, it was a pretty exciting event. The entire village would come out in their tribal dress. People would be singing and dancing around the airplane. Speeches were made. There was a big meal, all to celebrate the airplane coming to their village. Along with the airstrips, MEF established two-way radios. At the time, there were maybe half a dozen missions groups serving the country. Christian and Missionary Alliance was the biggest group. Conservative Baptists, Regions Beyond Missionary Union, Goyi Fellowship, New Tribes Mission, and a handful of others. They had no contact with one another until MEF arrived on the scene. The radio connected the various missions and we would sometimes get all of the leadership of the various missions together at our MAF house, and we would determine what other areas needed to be investigated, because at the time, new tribes were going to establish a work, and they needed to know where they should be working. And so all of the mission leaders got together and determined where would be some good areas for new tribes to start. The radio was very instrumental in bringing together missionaries who had never met before. And, of course, the airplane did some of the same things. My wife, Lee, did an afternoon radio schedule, and she would do the rotation of all of the various mission stations. And if they had something to report or to order from Pontianic, they would give her a list of the things they needed. Once the items were purchased in town, Ken would fly them to the mission stations. Lee was very knowledgeable about which missionaries were alone on a station and um, didn't get much contact with other expats or Americans. <clears throat> so she would usually schedule me there over the noon hour and I would have lunch with them. You know, that way that missionary at least got the latest information and got to interact with another uh, American. A few years later, Ron and Carol Maines and Mark and Judy Nord arrived on the scene, just as the work began to accelerate. We'll hear from Ron about record landings in a day, a takeoff that happened in the nick of time, and the role of MEF wives in the 70s. 
There are places in the world nearly impossible to reach other than by air. Roads, if they exist, are impassable many months of the year. Or, perhaps they are too dangerous to travel without an armed convoy. Other regions are cut off by mountains and swamps. For over 70 years, MAF has used aviation and technology to share Christ's love with people in these isolated places. MAF needs pilots and aircraft mechanics and their families who are willing to set aside a career in their home country to live out and share Christ's love by flying airplanes and maintaining them to reach and serve isolated people. Jesus came and lived among us. Are you willing to go and live among remote people to share his love? You can learn more by calling MAF at 208-498-0800 or go to maf.org slash serve to learn more. three years, almost uh, three or four days a week. That's former MEF pilot Ron Maines. He was based in West Kalimantan and flew Charlie Brown from 1973 to 76. Uh, you say with well, the Cessna 1, you probably don't fly them, you wear them, because uh, you feel, um, I mean, you're just feeling each uh, piece of that, and, you know, we could fly with confidence. It was a great aircraft. During his time in Kalimantan, airstrips were opening left and right, east and west. Within a few short years, the number of completed airstrips went from zero to 50. It started to accelerate very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned in one of my emails, we were opening airstrips about one a month for like six to eight months and adding the aircraft and adding the families to the point we had uh, three aircraft on the west and we had one aircraft uh, in East Cal. Ron and another pilot, Mark Nord, served together at the same time, and both had a hand in opening airstrips. Mark and I, we would uh, flip a coin uh, to see who was going to fly in and who was going to walk in first. And so you would uh, uh, let one or the other off at a nearby airstrip. Sometimes it would be 8 to 10 miles away, uh, sometimes more. Uh, sometimes I, uh, one time I let Mark off, and then I went home, and he hiked in and had overnight. And uh, the one on the ground would walk the airstrip, uh, make sure that it was uh, hard enough surface for landing, make sure it was still obviously long enough. A significant share of the flights from Kalansam were for a CMA program called TEE, Theological Education by Extension, which brought Western expats, Dayak Bible School students, and evangelists into the remote villages to train Dayak leaders. So you'd take two or three in an aircraft and drop them off at three different airstrips, and wait until the end of the afternoon, then pick them up and take them back to Kalansan, to the main base. As a result, the gospel spread very quickly, and dozens of new churches were established. MAF flights also helped support the Dayak Church by flying for church conferences. Ron has a unique memory related to this. It was a, a conference day. We had three aircraft, uh, all three from the west, and we were flying Dyak church pastors into one airstrip from many strips around. Mm-hmm. And not that a, a record landings means much, but when you land a 185 28 times in a day, you're, um, you, know, you kind of feel good at the end of the day. Do you speak code? Do you get a thrill from a well-functioning VPN, secured email, and global mapping apps? Are you passionate about sharing the love of Jesus with people in remote locations around the globe? 
you could find a wonderful opportunity on MAF's technical resources team, where digital resources and technology helps us reach isolated people with the gospel. You might find yourself setting up internet connections for a village hospital in the jungle or maintaining communications during a disaster response effort or coding an app. You can learn more by calling MAF at 208-498-0800 or go to maf.org serve to learn more. Not every flight's memorable, but lots of medevacs. I remember doing one on a strip called Onik, and it had rained oh, for three days straight. The river was flooding. They had a medevac there. I was flying out to meet the medevac, and they said, the river's rising fast. The patient's very critical. So I did an overfly, and I could see that the water had come up on both sides uh, in the drainage ditches and was trying to come on the strip. So I went ahead and landed on the strip with water just a few feet from the gear. I picked up the patient, and as we flew away, I did a turn and looked back, and a circle back, and the water came up over the airstrip. And so... Um, Ron reflected on this Cessna 185 and all the pilots who flew and maintained it, as well as their wives, who were key to the work that was happening in Kalimantan. Always have felt at MAF, it's no one person that's honored. It's the, the son of the team that makes it happen. I don't know how much the wives are involved now, but our wives actually followed all of our flights, every landing, and gave us weather and relayed weather and uh, called in medevacs when we were out there flying during the day. If someone needed to get to the hospital, we would divert. The MAF wife was critical in the 70s in Kalimantan to holding it all together. But there's very little infrastructure, and there's very little support out in those remote areas. All I have to say is, you know, MF is, that whole value system is represented because lots of people uh, sacrificed and lots of people gave. And, uh, and, and it goes to the donor side, too, and you know all that. That's, that's what that's about. So. He continued to reminisce as he thought about Charlie Brown's service coming to an end. As flying an aircraft at the end of the earth, we used to say, we weren't at the end of the earth, but we could see it from where we were. And uh, whether it's weather, whether it's situations on the ground, whether it's medical emergencies, uh, the stories are endless. We maintained our own airplanes. We changed our own gear castings, our own engines, and still we're able to, to fly very safely because that's, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to do your best. And not that if you have an accident, you're not doing your best, but that, that law of a run for an airplane, that's amazing. It's probably unheard of. It's probably a record. Through the years, as more pilots arrived and bases were opened in West and East Kalimantan, another change was on the horizon. When we come back, we'll hear how God was leading the MAF program on both sides of the island to pursue a new ministry area involving winding rivers and float planes. If you are inspired by the stories you are hearing today, there are ways you can be involved and support this great work. One way is to apply for the MAF Visa Card through Christian Community Credit Union. This isn't your average credit card. When you open a new MAF Visa Card account, Christian Community Credit Union donates $50 to MAF. Plus, every time you use your MAF Visa Card, the credit union will make an additional donation to MAF. To date, MAF has received over $560,000 from this program, the equivalent of over 220 flights for medical evacuations, delivering Bibles, and transporting the local church. You also earn reward points good for airfare, premium merchandise, cash back, and more. 
MEF encourages wise stewardship and does not promote indebtedness. As you use your card wisely, you can support the work of MEF with your everyday purchases. For more information, go to mycccu.com forward slash MEF. That's mycccu.com slash MEF. I sat down with Linda and Larry Whiting one day at MEF's U.S. headquarters in Nampa, Idaho, since we're all based here. They served in East Kalimantan from the late 80s until 2004 and told me a fascinating story that preceded the opening of another base on the island. We got a call from a national church evangelist to meet with him. His name was Johannes Sakai. He was well known all throughout Kalimantan. And he had done a trip down here and had gone by river for weeks upstream. And he wanted MAF's support in his evangelistic outreach down there. Larry is talking about the central part of Borneo, its series of seven river systems, and the isolated communities dotting the riverbanks. Johannes Sakai was going blind, but he went up into these, this village, took the boat up, went in and talked with the village chief and told him about Christianity and about forgiveness and and that God had sent his son. And the village chief was hearing this and he said, oh, the other village chief just left here before you came. I wish he was here to hear this story because mm-hmm. this is amazing. I've never heard this story. Never heard the name of Jesus before. And Johannes Sakai asked, and no one in the room had heard the name of Jesus before. And while he was asking about this and finding out that nobody in this whole village had even heard the name of Jesus, this other village chief came back and said, my lantern ran out of gas. I couldn't get very far, so I came right back. Johannes shared the gospel in Indonesian and the village chiefs and several other people in the room accepted Christ. Then the two village chiefs said, We want this for our people, because we're living in fear of spirits everywhere. But we only want this if you can send a teacher to live here with us Uh and to teach us about Christianity. And Johannes Sakai said, I have teachers in my Bible school that can come, that can teach you. I will work on this. So he traveled for a month to several different villages and he came back. He met with Jonathan and I. He said, this whole area, hundreds of miles, we need MAF because I have teachers that are willing to go, but they don't want to go there if MAF is not there to support them Mm -hmm. and to help them. Mm -hmm. He really threw down a clear challenge to MAF. Will you come? And so Jonathan and I were like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, we can get behind this. Hmm. Think, is that the jump up moment when he jumped up to the, the map? Johannes Sakai had a map, you know, as big as this end of the table, and he stood up and started pointing to here and there and the different places he had been and the reception he had had in all these villages. Even while the team in East Kalimantan was excited about the idea of helping Johannes reach these remote villages along the rivers, The MEF team on the west side of the island was also pursuing their passion for taking the gospel to this area. In fact, just a few months earlier, Doug Ulrich had done initial survey flights in central Kalimantan. There were two German nurses based there who could be helped by a float plane, 
and there were many small villages that could be served without having to build airstrips. So in 1995, Remy and Chandra Van Wormeskirken were assigned to start up the MEF floatplane base in central Kalimantan, operating from a temporary location until land could be purchased in Palankaraya. Another floatplane was brought in to start the base, and then a few years later, Charlie Brown was converted to a floatplane and moved here to begin serving isolated villages along the rivers. Another Cessna 185 floatplane joined a few years later. Then, in the early 2000s, as infrastructure improved and roads were built, and visas for Western missionaries were not being renewed, there was less demand for the airplanes on the West. So in 2002, MEF closed its doors on the West Kalimantan program. Charlie Brown continued to serve Central Kalimantan, providing medical evacuation flights and making it possible for Indonesian pastors to bring the gospel to some spiritually dark areas. The years went by and this aging aircraft was well cared for, and yet its time on Borneo was coming to an end. When we come back, we'll hear from the last MEF pilot to fly Charlie Brown and learn about its final flights, as well as a new bird that will soon be soaring over Borneo's rivers. You don't need to cross an ocean to serve in missions. There's an opportunity for you right where you are. MAF is looking for people with faith in Jesus Christ and a desire to share their time and talents. Near and far, MAF's work goes further with your partnership, and we invite you to join the exciting work God is doing through MAF. At the MAF headquarters, volunteers are invaluable. By serving with MAF, they devote numerous hours, which in turn saves MAF hundreds of thousands of dollars for the ministry work in the most isolated corners. Volunteers assist with building projects, valuable office work, and unique tasks enhancing the ministry of MAF. And around the United States, volunteers support MAF events and opportunities that might otherwise be missed. If you'd like to volunteer with MAF, go to www.maf.org volunteer or call us at 1-208-498-0800. What were my thoughts and feelings on those last flights? Well, I think it was very humbling just to think about being a part of something that was so big that happened for so long. That's Brad Hopkins, MEF pilot and base manager at the Palankaraya floatplane base. He and his wife, Rebecca, have served here since 2015. Before that, they were based in Tarakan, East Kalimantan, for several years. I spoke with Brad recently to get his thoughts on Charlie Brown's retirement after nearly 50 years of service and about the changes that would come with a new aircraft. What struck Brad the most was just how normal those last flights in the Cessna 185 were. That day was business as usual, really, because we had so much work to do that day. And it's amazing that the work still needs to be done. You know, 50 years on, here we are still doing the same thing. You know, like in the United States, so much has changed in 50 years. You think back to the 60s or the 70s, you know, and so many things have changed. But there in Kalimantan, it's the same rivers that they're using. And some things have changed a little bit. Folks have cell phones and things like that. But really, the transportation needs and the isolation is still the same. Brad wanted to do something special to commemorate the day, but he was just too busy. We have to get you know, these folks over here and fix this village's antenna so that they can, you know, communicate with the outside world again and then take these pastors over this, you know, and, and kind of do that whole puzzle that we have to do every day as pilots to make sure that we get maximum usage out of the airplane. 
it was just another day at the office where we were just working hard and the airplane functioned well and it did well. Just kind of like the first day it was out there, the last day it was out there, it was doing the same thing. When Brad returns to the Palancaraya base after furlough, he'll be doing more of the same flights, only this time in a much larger, faster, amphibious Kodiak. He's pretty excited to get some training in the actual float plane and begin flying it in central Borneo. There are quite a few differences and advantages to flying this new aircraft here. Going from a Cessna 185 to a Quest Kodiak, it's it's a paradigm shift. So you could talk a long time about the differences because it really is a whole different era of technology. First of all, the, the engine is different. With the Kodiak, you have a turbine-powered prop, and so it has more than twice the amount of horsepower that the airplane would have in the 185, and that helps out quite a bit in getting out of places, tight rivers and so on and so forth. Another thing that's different is because of it's a turbine-powered airplane that has a different kind of propeller, and that means that the pilot can actually put the airplane into reverse, you know, to back up a little bit, and so that's pretty unique in a float plane where you can actually back the airplane up. With the 185, you can't do that. What that means is even though the Kodiak is a, is a larger airplane, it's more maneuverable and controllable on smaller rivers. These kind of technology things that, that actually allow us to continue to operate where we've been operating and then actually go farther. Uh, some other advantages are the, the speed of the Kodiak. It's 50% faster than the 185, and so you can do more in a day with one pilot and one airplane. The range is farther, and so you can actually extend your range of service out the farther places away. Not only that, but the payload, and we can take more people and cargo to farther places in faster amount of time so you can do more villages in one day with one pilot with the Kodiak than you could before. You know, you could probably take, depending on the, the river system, seven or eight passengers, adult passengers plus children in a Kodiak where in a 185 you might be able to take three or four. So there is great advantage with that. It'll be good to see once you get it on the river and see what it does, that's when you really know how well it'll affect. Just from my experience flying the wheel Kodiak, being out there in Palankaraya, I am quite excited to see what this thing will do. Brad doesn't think the needs of the people will change anytime soon. He imagines MEF will be there for years to come. The rivers are just going to be the rivers, you know, and that's where 95% of people live is on those seven major river systems. Even if they had nice roads that they could use, we would really like to focus our attention on things that you really need an airplane for. For instance, you know, medevacs, we do a lot of that. With the Kodiak, we can go out farther away from our home base where things are not going to be built up for a very long time. I mean, we're talking about very mountainous, jungly areas, there's no way to get in or out by river, and I don't think the government's going to be able to touch that place for a very long time. Just as the Cessna 185 provided life-saving medical evacuations and supported outreach efforts by local pastors and missionaries, the Kodiak will do the same. Brad wants to be very intentional and strategic about how this aircraft will serve here. Some of the things that we want to focus on beyond medevacs is laser focusing on how do we bring the church into those isolated, unreached areas. We're, we're surrounded on three and a half sides by unreached people groups. And we'd really like to use our airplane to do things more strategic for advancing the church, flying missionaries, 
building churches, supporting hospitals, interior, and of course, medevacs, which we are always standing by for. During a time when the MEF pilots weren't able to fly, due to some changing federal regulations, Brad and the team discovered just how supportive of MEF the local pastors are. A lot of the people came out and were showing signs of support for MAF, and they even did a demonstration, signs and everything, and they just come out on their own and say, we need these guys here, and they show the love of Christ for us here. And we have such a unique ministry and opportunity there. When you're talking about bringing in a float plane or an amphibious float plane, we're just so grateful. Like Rebecca and I were just one pilot, one family there, and we cannot be there without so many other people supporting us. You really feel that, that as we take off and we do a flight, it's not just us flying the plane. Without so many other people, you guys in, in headquarters and so many supporters throughout the country, we wouldn't even have the airplane. And we wouldn't be able to be there. We wouldn't have the visas and we wouldn't be able to be operating and having the permissions. And so I get back, I guess, to my first statement that it's just kind of humbling to be there and to have so much support behind us, trying to fulfill the efforts of so many people on the other side of the world, helping out to be the hands and feet of the Lord for these isolated people. Even as Brad looks forward to the possibilities the new airplane will bring, he considers all that Charlie Brown accomplished and how God worked through the MEF missionaries who had a heart to serve the people of Borneo through almost five decades. So many lives were changed and lives were saved and the, the word of the Lord went forward. Churches were helped and people were helped. And just being a part of that was very humbling for me. And I think that would have been my first impression on those last days that this is so much bigger than one person, even one era. Where one airplane ends and another begins will be a seamless story in heaven someday. And one day we will meet the characters who played a part and rejoice over the lives that were transformed by the love of Jesus. Revelation 7-9 gives us a glimpse. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A huge thank you to everyone who contributed to this episode. Richard Parrott, Ken Similink, Ron Maines, Larry and Linda Whiting, and Brad Hopkins. Also, Jerry Reeder, Dave Hoisington, and Doug Ulrich, who shared their own memories of Charlie Brown and helped with my research. And thanks to the awesome team that brings these episodes together. Tracy Worry, our Director of Marketing and Communication, Chris Burgess, our Communication and Media Manager, and Paul O'Brien, our Editor. You've been listening to Flight Follow. Until next time, this is Jen Wolf, signing clear.